You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice and tips on making in the UK. So let's get on with today's show. Welcome to episode number 200 of the Make It British podcast. 200 episodes, eh? Blimey, how did that happen? Really enjoyed saying episode number 200. So I'm going to say it again. Episode number 200. Can't believe I've got to 200 episodes. And thank you very much if you've listened to one or all of those. I've actually spent the last week looking back over all of the episodes I have recorded over the last, well, it's nearly three years now, and thinking about what has been said over those last three series. And I'd forgotten how many fantastic guests we've had on this show, especially some of those that were interviewed early on in series one. In fact, when I looked into Apple Podcasts, you couldn't actually scroll all the way back to episode one. I'm not sure what's happened there. It's something I need to fix. But you can listen back to the entire back catalogue of the Make It British podcast on the Make It British website. So I'll pop the link for that in the show notes of the podcast. And today, this is the last episode for series three, but I'm going to be back again in the autumn with a brand new series. So make sure to subscribe to get notified when we launch that new series, which will be series four. So now let's get on with today's episode. And what I thought I would do is bring you a summary from 20 of the Make It British members that I've interviewed on this podcast over the last few years. And they're all giving their thoughts and their advice on building UK made brands. So what I'll do is I'll pop the link in the show notes to each one of these episodes so that you can catch up on any that you've missed. And if you want to hear more from any of these amazing people, So here are the top 20 tips for building a great UK made business, as said by 20 of the best guests we've had on this show over the last 200 episodes. So when you're building a great UK made brand, where do you start? Well, firstly, you need to start with your why. What is the reason behind what you're doing? Julie Dean from the Cambridge Satchel Company never set out to launch a brand, in inverted commas. Her aim was actually to earn enough money to send her children to a great school. Now, if that meant she had to work really hard and do everything within the business herself to start with, that's what she did. And I know that Julie still continues to be very hands-on in the Cambridge Satchel Company, even today when she's turning over millions. You've got to be prepared to do so much yourself. And you've got to have no ego at all. You know, you can't think, oh, here I am. I'm going to be the the owner and founder of a brand. You know, I honestly think you cannot decide you're a brand. You need other people to decide you're good enough to be a brand. And for me, it was always to sell enough satchels for Emily and Max to go to a great school. It wasn't world domination and to say, I own this brand. That wasn't the thing. So that already puts you in a much stronger position because if your whole purpose is, I have to make school fees for my children to go to a good school, 
you're not putting yourself on a pedestal. If that means, mm. you know, you've got to learn to code and do your own website because you have 600 pounds and you're going to need that for other things, that's what you're going to have to do. As well as having a great why for the reason you're building your brand, you also need to have a great story to tell. Jack Millington is the co-founder of Billy Tannery, the first micro goat tannery in the UK. Here he advises others why it's important to build a story around your brand. My advice would be just to, before you even start, is to, is to build the business around an interesting story or a genuine story and a genuine need for, for what you're doing because it gives you that sort of foundation right from the start to, to give people a reason for why you're doing what you're doing. And then that gives you the opportunity to tell stories or that means you aren't just launching an X product, a reason behind it. And I think more and more today people are thinking about kind of what products they're buying and whether they could be buying things in a slightly more responsible way. And I think to suddenly to, to be launching a a new company just because you've had the idea won't necessarily ring as true as there's a reason to do this. And I think that's something that I would definitely um, uh, recommend. We have a great dialogue with with people that are are buying our products and it's sort of all the parts of the story resonate sort of differently with, with, with different people, whether it's that sort of food waste angle, whether it's the sort of reinvigorating a, a sort of a craft in the UK that is, is potentially on the, in the decline. I think it's, it's important to have that sort of mix so that you're not just sort of saying one thing. For some, the reason that they run their own business is to have the flexibility that it provides, even though it can be hard work. Kath Whitworth, who has been running Celtic & Co with her husband for over 30 years, built her business around having a family and growing the business organically. We were able to grow the business along with having a family. I was working evenings and weekends and we've been able to do it basically self-funded. So we haven't had to take a lot of financial risk, which I think from our point of view has made it a lot more stress-free. At least if you know you're producing a nice product, you're treating your staff fairly and you're not massively in debt, you can sleep at night. Why do brands decide to make in the UK? At Make It British, we know that there are many different reasons. Here, Paul Smithers discusses why he decided to set up his own factory to make a swimwear brand that he had previously imported from overseas. We decided that we wanted to have our own brand uh, making the same sort of products, but having them made here in England because we could control um, what we do. We didn't have the communication problems. We didn't have the long transit times, uh, loss of goods in transit and all those other problems that you have. Plus, we really wanted to have a sort of continuity range of products, which is still quite unusual. Companies change their designs every season, but a lot of designs, if they sell well, you can sell them year after year. Homeware designer Rebecca J Mills loves the fact that she makes here, but is realistic about what can and can't be achieved. I've seen a lot of brands grow and they started UK and then they've grown bigger and then they've moved to China or India. But I've seen quite a few manufacturers or brands coming back to the UK as well. I think my values lie with UK manufacturing. I don't see myself ever manufacturing outside of the UK, but there has to be a part that accepts that some parts don't come from the UK. When speaking to Rich and Linda, who also make swimwear in their own micro factory, the reason to make in the UK was very much focused around sustainability and giving back to their local community. I think it's about the the craft, basically. 
making stuff, not making a surplus of stuff that's basically going to go to landfill. You know, working on smaller quantities with a craft and a skill behind it for the people that um, either care about that, but also, you know, can afford it, but that, that want to spend a bit more money on a garment that is more ethically and kind of sustainably produced. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, we, we could have easily found manufacturers to make swimwear abroad, but we just wanted something local. It just I mean, I've lived in Hackney now for like over 20 years, 30 years, um, and it just felt important to do something that was going to contribute to our local economy and, you know, be able to uh, train local people up. One from a sustainable point of view, you know, I'm, I'm, it means a lot to me that we can make something that hasn't traveled the world at least as little as possible um, to minimize harm, but also, yeah, just to be able to give back. So if you're planning to launch a brand that's made in the UK, how long does it really take you, if you, especially if you don't have any prior manufacturing experience? Here, Sean Riki from the Hetty Company explains how long it took her to launch her brand. I think it was probably the best part of a year. We didn't all throw in our jobs to start with. I think if, if you do that, if you take the plunge and you do that, and maybe, you know, you spend more time on, on the, the idea um, and maybe you could get that done quicker. But even so, you still have to allow for timeframes. You have to allow to get the buying, the buying for all your bits, all your trims. Uh, it's not just buying your fabric. It's buying, you know, we, we need hardware for the, the dog collars, the, the webbing for the bags. We saw some beautiful buttons from a lady that hand kiln fires the buttons for our phone cases. So there's a lot involved before you actually get to properly sit down and somebody to start making you something. Understanding how products are made is so important. Katie Walker is a furniture designer who has learned how to make her own prototypes so that she can brief them to her manufacturers. Here she explains why it is essential that designers also have an understanding of the manufacturing process. Everyone wants to be a designer and not a maker. And even if you do want to be a designer, you still really need to really understand how things work. And I don't think I really found that out and understood how to design until I had really got into the workshop and put things together and felt the weight of things and, you know, just kind of work with the materials. It's different. Matt Booth from Both Barrels is also from a design background, but understands the importance of designing products with a UK manufacturer's capabilities in mind. Doing your research before you first reach out to a manufacturer is really important. And here Matt talks about how you can prepare for that first meeting with a new manufacturer. A lot of these factories are so used to people turning up with stuff that's difficult for them to make. I think it's really important to listen to what's going on in those first conversations. I think if you can turn up with a bit of keenness and also kind of with the approach of trying to listen first, I think that's a good way to go. And also understand like what the factory's capabilities are. So if, if I'd turned up to that manufacturer and said, okay, I want everything to be laser cut and bonded, they would have said, you've come to the wrong shop, sir. So you need to do a lot of like accessibility work before you even get to that conversation with somebody that's going to be handling CMT. So there's quite a long lead time with, with all the stuff that happens even before you get to that conversation. I think the other part to consider here is if you're turning up to a manufacturer, you're also going to need to turn up with some sort of information about materials. I'd say the whole thing probably is, is like a six-month process maybe. For Rachel Atwood of British children's wear brand Britannical, things were not so easy as she had no prior experience in product development or manufacturing. 
but she found that UK manufacturers were very supportive and by visiting them, she was able to discuss her ideas with them and get to the place she is now with her children's wear brand. What was exciting in the early stages of the business is just the scale of my ignorance and the fact that (laughs) I set myself a challenge of just learning something new. And so it was a massive, steep learning curve because I had an idea of kind of the stages of CMT, so how a garment is made, but Mm. not really in the context of a modern factory. And finding a good manufacturer, somebody that was kind of understanding of the needs of the brand, it was a process of trial and error, really, that we found plenty of good manufacturers, but perhaps not ones that were so focused on outerwear. So I, in person, chatted to a number of different factory owners And it really was the importance of a dialogue, I can't stress enough, just showing my designs, saying kind of what I would like to achieve. And then it was like reverse engineering. I said, oh, I want this, I want that, a moon on a stick. And then they would say, well, actually, we can do X, Y and Z. So it was very much a learning curve based on a dialogue and really using the expertise of manufacturers and learning from them. Some brands that make in the UK decide that the most efficient way to make something is to make it themselves. Steph McGrath from Something Wicked makes her own lingerie brand and as a result is able to deliver made-to-order to her customers in a matter of days. If we manufacture in the UK, it means you can be massively flexible. Um, so the way that we operate is a very, very different business model. So everything's made to order, which means that it's so much more flexible for stockists and for customers. We sell wholesale and directly to customers on our online boutique as well. Just because, though, people say oh, made to order, the implication or what people think of is, oh, so I'm going to have to wait weeks and weeks for my item. But it's not that at all. What we've managed to do is just really streamline the production and get it set up in a way that makes it super efficient. So if an order comes in tonight, then tomorrow morning it'll be cut and made and out the door within 24 hours. There's no wastage and we just make what we need. When it comes to pricing your product, offering value for money is so important. With UK-made goods, it is often difficult to compete on price, but you can offer quality and products that will stand the test of time, reducing their cost of use over the period of their ownership and, of course, being less wasteful because you're buying less. Joel Chudley from Made to Last has built his entire business model around offering value for money. Here he explains about the guarantee that he offers to his customers. What we're we're keen for customers to think about is when you go to our website and you look at any product, you see the price and next to it you see a guarantee badge that shows the guarantee length. So then if the customer starts thinking, okay, well, this has got a 15-year guarantee and it costs £1,000, what's that cost per year? Then they can make that comparison. It starts the thought process of thinking more deeply about what is value for money and what is product quality. When it comes down to it, the price is the most important thing. We have to make sure that products are affordable and that they're they're a reasonable, good value price because that's what people care about most. People have a budget and they have to stick within that budget. Another brand that's always prided itself on its quality and that offers a warranty on their products is Ince Umbrellas, a family-run firm that has been making quality umbrellas in the East End of London for decades. Richard Ince explains how his umbrellas beat those made elsewhere for quality. 
the idea of an investment, obviously they are more expensive being UK made, but we bring a better level of attention to detail. The stitching is stronger, the canopies are tauter, and just with those two points, you'll get a much better umbrella. One of the challenges for businesses like Richard's is employing skilled staff that continue to make at this quality level. The solution lies in attracting young people into the industry and teaching them that making things is a worthwhile career. One person that is doing just that is Emma Willis, who has her own factory in Gloucestershire to make the high-end shirts that she sells in her German Street shop in London. Here she explains how she's doing just that. We've raised the profile of the seamstresses and businesses and machinists and and what skill it takes. And it's also shown that young people are in the industry, so therefore it's attracting young people more. We're approached all the time. Genevieve Sweeney has achieved quite a lot of press and amassed a large social media following in the first few years of launching her brand. But it didn't come easily, as she describes here. The hardest part has been how much you realise you don't <laughs> until you run, a, you know, your own brand. Like I was fine with production and manufacturing, but then realising when you launch your website that no one knows about you. Tackling that marketing and PR, it's been really enjoyable, but it's like learning that, but that is quite a slow process. Samantha Brook from Knitwear Brand Wearing Brook also stresses about how important it is to be prepared for hard work and also make sure that you design something with the customer in mind. You have to make a product that is going to sell and at the right price point because there's no point in making a beautiful product that's ridiculously expensive and there's nobody there to buy it. And also be prepared for blood, sweat and tears When it comes to selling, many UK brands choose not to discount in sales or wholesale to other stores who might end up discounting their products, as explained here by Mark Higgs, brand manager at Crown Northampton, a footwear brand manufactured in Northampton. We're never going to enter sale on our website. Yeah. We're not going to do it. We don't yeah. want to. And it's, and it's because it's rough for your own back. You, know, you start doing that, people are waiting for sales. Yeah. There might be the odd free shipping around certain times, but yeah. that's been very few and far between. And that's kind of where we've got to have the confidence in ourselves that that's our business model. That's what we're sticking to. To be honest, the wholesale model, we could get 20 stockists if we wanted to, send yeah. it all out. It might go into sale within three months. Then it just not destroys, yeah. but it starts bringing down our brand, what we've got. One of the great things about making in the UK is that you don't have to invest in tons of stock, which can be far more profitable for your business, as Emma Matthews from Soco explains. I've got like a little limited edition number. So you know that there are only 33 pairs made in this color, in this size. And some people totally get that and they really, they really like that. Um, but then, as you say, you know, if you go on the website, some people be like, well, what's going on? You know, you're carrying really low stock. It doesn't look like the business is doing well or making a profit in any way. But actually, it's, it's more that I'm gearing up for the next collection. Um, and so for me to have low quantities is a good thing. Whilst there is definitely a growing demand for products that are made in the UK, consumers aren't stupid and will not buy something just because it's made here. They will also look at the design and the quality as well as the price. Gillian Tusting from leather goods brand Tusting believes that British made goods should focus on quality, not just their made in Britain credentials. It's a great thing that things are made in the UK and there are so many benefits to the consumer for shopping for things which have been created here. But I don't believe that that's all there is to it. It's just not good enough to just be made in the UK. It's got to be great as well. And 
And because fundamentally it is expensive to, to make things in the UK, then doubly it's got to be great because it's got to be worth what it costs to make it. The labour to do something really well is a bit more than to do something not very well, but it's not a massive difference. So if you're going to do it in the UK, do it brilliantly. I don't want anybody to buy British just for the sake of it, you know, and then we all end up with, with rubbish products. You know, that's just not a, not a solution to anything, is it? And finally, there are so many advantages to making in the UK for small businesses, as summarised by Pippa Zubinski from babywear brand The Little Art Collection. I would say that I had underestimated how powerful the Made in Britain message is. And there is a huge willingness to support British businesses and small businesses, especially at the moment. It's the brilliant quality. It's the easy communication. You know, it's so easy to build a relationship with your supplier. And it's the fast turnaround times. I think there's a perception that it's very expensive to create here. But if you're producing overseas, once you've considered the sort of customs and the shipping costs and a broker, if you're getting one to help you do that, it, it doesn't actually work out to be much cheaper. And the other thing is that if you are creating something really beautiful, there will always be a customer for your product. There will always be someone who appreciates the value of what you're selling. So don't be afraid to price how you need to, to make it work. Okay, I said I was only going to do 20, but I've actually found another one. So this list is actually 21. And I think it's a really good one to end on. It's from Brant Richards of Hedroco. And he gives some great advice about marketing your British made brand. People have lots of stuff going on in their lives. Your job in marketing a business is for a brief moment in that person's day to captivate them enough to make them give you some of their money that they've worked very hard for, for your thing. And you have to build up that trust and you have to be really clear and you have to have a really good thing that works well. And, and that's it. So I hope that inspired you to consider making in the UK if you aren't already. And if you are making in the UK and the sentiments that you've just heard align with your own values, why not become a Make It British member? As well as advertising your business on our site in the Make It British directory and receiving referrals from us to your website, we also hold weekly online masterclasses and networking events where you can meet other like-minded businesses. The only criteria that you need to be eligible is that your business manufactures in the UK. For more information, go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash join. So thank you for listening. That's for the 200th episode of the Make It British podcast. And it's also the end of series three. I'll be back in the autumn of 2021 with series four. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there are bonus episodes occasionally. So make sure you subscribe in your favourite podcast app. And if you're looking to find British made brands or UK manufacturers, check out the directory on the Make It British website, which you can find at makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash directory. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.